want lunch? I don't like sound. What they want is results. That's what we're going to give them. We're going to give them the results. Hello everyone and welcome to We Watch Bad Films, the podcast where we watch bad films so you don't have to. We're back with season three. Have you been? Looking good? Have you lost weight? Nice. I'm Gary and with me as always is Jay. Hello. Jay, I thought we'd kick off to look back at 2021 and recount some of the worst things we watched last year. Now, I want to be clear, this doesn't have to be a film from 2021. You just have to have watched it in 2021. And you can include things from the podcast, or you don't have to. It's totally up to you. So, you know, by all means, in no particular order, give me give me something you watched last year that was not good. Okay, well, I watched a few things that made me feel ill. One of them was Cats, the film. You watched Cats, the musical, the film, right? The one that everyone absolutely trashed in the review. Oh, no, I think you might be the only person who's voiced that opinion. <laughs> it was widely well received, very warmly received, particularly the uh, the uh, CG fur effect. I th- didn't Dame Judy Dench say it was the role she was born to play, or something like that? Well, mm. indeed, she was supposed to play it on the West End and uh, broke her ankle, I think, um, when the play was about to come out, the musical was about to launch, and uh, the role went to Elaine Page instead. Really. That bitch. <laughs> exactly. I know something about you, Jay, and I don't imagine you've listened to Elaine Page's um, musical show on Radio 2 on a Sunday afternoon, have you? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> well, um, it seems to be always on. I'm always driving somewhere on a Sunday afternoon, and that song I can get into this later, but I don't mind a musical. Um, I've, there's some I like, some I'm not bothered about. But the best part about Elaine Page's musicals, Radio 2 show, is Elaine Page's laugh. Have you ever heard Elaine Page's laugh? <laughs> no, this is going down. <laughs> I didn't imagine you'd be discussing uh, Elaine Page's laugh to me. I, I'm intrigued now. No. Why don't you um, deliver a line to me so I can react with a laugh? Uh, really, Cats was the role I was born to play, Gary. <laughs> That's the main page, authentic laugh on it. <laughs> is she like a? Is she, it sounds like Elmer Fudd. Or <laughs> I mean, I wish I was inventing it, but you know, it's, it's an all-time classic comedy laugh, like Jimmy Carr or Ricky Gervais. Yeah. And then a couple of years later, I starred in Billy. <laughs> At the Theatre Royal Drury Lane. <laughs> so I hope you enjoy. Okay, this is gonna this is gonna alienate about three or four of our five listeners. But <laughs> do you remember? Do you remember Lisa Stansfield? Yeah, from the nineties. She's got an amazing voice. A voice yeah. like she did the Freddie Mercury show. She sang amazingly. Have you ever heard a talk? She talks like that. A big thick Northern accent. All this is distracting from the fact that you watched Cats. Tell me more. Did you get in a fight? I just, <laughs> I just want everyone to know. I don't know if I've mentioned this before on on the podcast, but I absolutely hate musicals. Now, yeah. So you don't like musicals. 
it's well known that Cats was not a good film. And despite the podcast you're listening to, we didn't watch it for the podcast. So why were you watching Cats? <laughs> I know. I mean, we should have watched it for the podcast. I didn't even do that. I just watched it. <laughs> I was what with people. <laughs> I just felt like I have a duty to watch uh, films which come out and are universally panned. Just as some sort of, you know, people look to me as some sort of intrepid explorer. I think maybe we are. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Um I just want to say, though, that um, I do like some musicals. I like Mary Poppins. I like some Disney films, which have songs in them. Are they classified as musicals? I suppose they are. Uh, But generally speaking, I bloody hate musicals. And Cats is the epitome of everything that I hate about musicals. Yeah, well, this is the thing. You know, as musicals go, it's very musically... You know, it's a bit bonkers. It's all about people expressing themselves that can't usually express themselves. It's about putting themes into songs. And it's got jolly recurring stuff. It's a hard sell to a non-musical fan. Yeah, it's absolute gibberish. It's really annoying. The songs are repetitive and old-fashioned. And uh, even when I just see clips of of the actual stage show on YouTube or something, it's just... I'm doing the hand moves, Gary. It's all the jazz hands and I'm moving like a cat and I'm so musical theatre, Gary. And it's jellical cats and jellical. I can't stand it. It drives me up the wall. So bearing that in mind, I, then I thought I'd, I'd watch the film version of it with all the terrible... Because it was guaranteed to change your mind, wasn't it? <laughs> yes. And my God, it was as bad as I could have possibly imagined. I watched it with a group of friends and um, I suppose that helped. But um, it was so bad that about halfway through we had to switch it off because it was so (laughs) nonsensical. It was an assault on my ears, on my eyes. Everyone looked so ugly. The effects were terrible. Um, the editing, it was just like, oh, it was like a bad dream. It never stopped. And um, I, I, I knew a bit about the musical, but I didn't realise there was no plot. It is just literally one character comes on, sings an annoying song, and then another one comes on, sings an annoying song. And then James Corden appeared. <laughs> and that was it. No, it's going <laughs> off, switching off. It has a sort of plot of a sort of cats wanting to be jellical cats. You know, you get to sing that song again. Um, um, now, I, I, when that song came on, because it's the first song, isn't it? I just I turned to everyone and I said, "What the hell is going on? Why do they keep saying jellical? What is jellical? Why do they keep doing it? Why is this song about six minutes long?" Um, so that was the story. Um, well, you're clearly not well read because you need to have read the T.S. Eliot poem uh, beforehand to fully appreciate the majesty of it. I mean, I can see it maybe working as a musical in a theatre that you go and watch because there's lots of stuff happening on stage as music and people leaping about in cat suits. But as a film, it is, oh, it's so bad. Um, who's that? Who's that? What's that woman? Um, she's called Tempest Du Jour or... Raw power. What's her name? Taylor Swift. No, not her. She's the. She's an Australian. She's a comedian. Oh yes, I know who you mean. She sounds um, like a drag queen. 
Oh, yeah, Christ, I can't um, remember her name. Anthony Daniels here. You may remember me as C-3PO in Star Wars Episode 2, Attack of the Clones, or the Star Wars Rebels Episode 3, Droids in Distress. Gary wanted me to let you know that the name of the actress they're trying to think of badly is Rebel Wilson. TTFN. Oh my god, her and James Corden on screen together. Oh my god, it was so annoying. James Corden, I don't know what you feel about James Corden. I know that you've seen some of the stuff that he's done before and you've liked it. I can't stand him. (laughs) He's just a big, loud, fat, annoying... Uh, he just, yeah, and, and when he's covered in CGI fur, that was it. It just made me, I was having hairballs. It's a popular opinion to dislike him. Uh, I, I do like Gavin and Stacey. I think it's a good show. It's really, it is funny. It's warm. And he wrote half of it and, and acted very well in it. Uh, and he can't make that translate to anything else, it seems. He's cornered the market in loud shouting and being annoying that, I've never actually seen Gavin and Stacey, but I know what it is. Maybe I should watch that at some point, but I just I can't deal with him. Oh, dear, Gary. Well, something I can defend watching, and I absolutely hated it, was Stardust. This is not the uh, Ricky Gervais um, vehicle from about 2007, um, but a sort of documentary-ish piece, biopic, about a very small window of David Bowie's life where he had... When he went to the shops on that yeah. on Sunday, Sunday the 5th of September in 1973, went down to the shops to get some milk. Do you know what? Bowie fans are obsessive enough that they would probably watch that. But this is the thing, you know, we're going to... You're going to watch a film about a piece of David Bowie, one of the most enigmatic, interesting, artistic, yet pop entertainers we've ever produced. And you manage to make one of the most dullest pieces of film I've ever seen. <laughs> it's about a narrow window of his life where he's not quite broken America yet. So he's touring the man who sold to work, the man who sold the world album around the States. But unfortunately, the label's got no faith in him. So they've given him a tuppenny halfpenny um, A&R man to go around with, who's played by the excellent Mark Maron. The key problem, with it's not its not even the key problem, but one of the major problems of the film is they were not able to license any of the music of David Bowie. So you've got a film about the music of David Bowie without any of the music of David Bowie in it. And it drives me insane because every time he steps up on stage, you think he's going to deliver a Bowie epic. And he doesn't. He plays some cover of a folk song. It's absolutely mind bending. <laughs> you, yeah, I mean that is, I mean that is a hurdle you simply can't get over. Let's do, let's do a biopic about a famous musician with none of his music in it. Yeah, I mean to pick up the popular recent examples of the past couple of years: Bohemian Rhapsody, Rocket Man. Um, I, th- I thought Bohemian Rhapsody was just dull, dull, dull. But, you know, they've got they've clearly got the music of Queen and the central performance is really good uh, in terms of uh, imitating Freddie Mercury. I think Rocket Man is visually interesting and obviously plays around with the songs of Elton John in a really fantastical way. That's a that's a good watch and deserves to be a film. This is just a few weeks in the life of David Bowie pootling around radio stations and playing to 20 people. 
I don't really know what the point was. <laughs> with no, with none of his music. <laughs> none of his music to boot. <laughs> it's also paired with this other story, which either they always wanted to tell, or they decided to le- weave in later on about David Bowie's brother, who had mental illness and, and sadly did commit suicide. They pair this story up with this is why he turned himself into Ziggy Stardust, which was sort of the ratchet that really kicked him into stratosphere when he came back to London. Um, uh, further reading shows that this is not true. <laughs> um, <laughs> that, that this is why he came up with Ziggy Stardust. But anyway, even then, you know, his famous return to London gig as Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders and Mums. And you don't get a single Ziggy Stardust track. <laughs> it just <laughs> makes no sense. So I mean, the central movie. performance is Johnny Flynn, who's the half brother of Jerome Flynn, he of uh, Game of Thrones, or Robson and Jerome, if you're old enough. Brom. Um, I think he's okay. He's doing an all right impression, I think, but he's got none of the confidence and etherealness. That's not even a word because he's so good at it. I can't say it, I can't think of a word. You know, the sort of enigmatic quality of David Bowie. He's got none of it. <clears throat> no mystery. And then over the closing credits, you hear Johnny Flynn play a song. Of course, the song you don't know, presumably. Um, I certainly didn't know it. This isn't a David Bowie impression doing a song <laughs> either. You know, at least Taron Egerton is definitely doing an Elton John impression in Rocket Man. So you've got a biopic about David Bowie where the main character is not really playing david bowie there's no music from david bowie and the things that happened in in the in the film didn't really happen that sounds great other than that it's fantastic (laughs) what a great idea for a film (laughs) let's go with that one yes stamp that we're gonna do that sounds almost as good as cats let's let's do that (laughs) and hey it's that worst sin the worst sin we always come back to is being boring Oh, God. At least Cats was confusing and annoying. Um, I can't... Yeah, I'm afraid... Cats, Cats has things you can point and laugh at. Yeah, yeah. yeah There's nothing to point boring. and laugh at, David uh, um, Stardust. Yeah, the, 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 a boring film, right? It just needs to be thrown off the cliff. That's it. We can't, we, we can't waste any more time on these things. That is a real shame. <laughs> it's probably ruined the careers of so many people. But quite frankly, we always say this, Gary, why did it get made? I don't know. I mean, I looked into it and I can't figure out who who still greenlit it and said, <laughs> this is probably going to do OK. You know, even if it fails at the cinema, you know, forgetting what year it came out, even if it fails at the cinema, maybe we'll recoup it by just imagine part of it was, well, they won the best actor Oscar for Bohemian Rhapsody. Rocket Man's got audiences packed in. I'm sure just another biopic by another classic artist is going to do well. Uh, Well, how wrong they were. Hard avoid. This is the first first one that we've done in a while. First one of this year um, after a a terrible year and um, loads of terrible films. So how are we going to... How are we going to smash through the year 2022 with a with a real banger, Gary? Um, mm. Obviously, Stardust was <laughs> a damp squib for you. So let me let me fix that problem by delving into one of our favourite directors and filmmakers of all time into his yes. dusty, 
dusty back room where he keeps all of his dodgy things in his boxes that we don't look into. Uh, I'm talking about, of course, George Lucas, Gary. You like George Lucas, don't you? Yeah, I like George Lucas. Tell me more. (laughs) Yeah, well, I think what we should watch is one of his all-time number one hits, um, Raiders of... No, Forgotten Piles of Crap... Not narrowing it down. We're going to watch Howard the Duck. Uh, right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I think I think I might have watched it when it first came out I on think home I've video. I've got I've no memory it. of it, but I think I might have watched it. I used to own, for some reason, a um, a picture book. That that I had when I was young and the images are emblazoned on my mind. Uh, but also I, I imagine I would have seen it as well. A bit like when we were watching um, the garbage pale kids movie, we kind yes. of know that we've both watched it when it came out in the uh, 1800s, but yes. none of us, neither of us can remember anything about it, which bodes well. That does sound jolly entertaining. Well, why don't you uh, go and listen to this fabulous trailer for Howard the Duck and we'll go and watch the film. Across the sea of stars lies another world, a world almost exactly like ours. This is where he lives. He's 27 years old, single but searching. Favorite sports, windsurfing and Aikido. Favorite pastimes, cigars and sex. He has everything except fulfillment. And then one night, it happens. Hey, good buddy, are you home? He has a very sudden midlife crisis. He lands in Cleveland. You do know why you were sent to me? Listen to me, small visitor. I can explain how you got here. Maybe you're here for some greater purpose, some cosmic cause. Here, he's forced to reassess his career goals. You went to med school? To explore new relationships. To redefine his self-image. I'm sorry, we don't allow pets on the premises. To adjust to a changing lifestyle. I pull it out! Until he discovers just who he really is. A duck in big trouble. That's a duck, man! Howard the Duck, trapped in a world he never made. Coming from George Lucas, a Willard Hike film, a Gloria Katz production. Okay, so we've just watched Howard the Duck from 1986. Um, George Lucas presents a tale. Let me attempt to synopsize what happens. Um, so our titular hero is a copywriter. We follow him getting home from work at hard days, hard day at the office. Suddenly he's transported to our world and he's a duck in the human world he ends up at a club where he meets um where he gets thrown out but the band that was singing there the lead singer um she is being accosted by fans rather aggressively he saves the day they sort of form an unlikely bond she takes him to a museum to figure out what happened with her friend and where he's come from they using some clever scientist people, they work out a way to send him back. Unfortunately, in doing so, um, 
the main scientist is turned into a bad guy, transported body of the overworld, overlord, genius bad guy. They then spend the rest of the film trying to evade him. And I've run out of steam. I have. <laughs> I think the film <laughs> ran out of steam around that point of view. Well, the thing is, it, it never picks up steam. And then it never runs out of steam. So it doesn't have steam to run out. Um, steam the, big, the biggest flaw with this film is the pacing. You spend nearly an hour before the bad guy is introduced. And then it drags on a bit longer. <laughs> it's yeah. way too long. Way too long for this sort of film. Yeah, that's one of the problems. The other <laughs> is uh, the actual titular How the Duck looks rubbish. Um, yeah. yeah. So they've gone for this faux animatronic look, which brings to mind the TV show Dinosaurs from the mid 90s, early <laughs> 90s. And it's that kind of level of animatronic where you've got a few gizmos in the mouth, the eyelids can flicker, and that's about it. And it, otherwise, it's clearly a small person in a costume. And looking at the credits, it's a mixture between dwarves and children. It's very unclear. Um, yeah, but also every now and again, and like every little 15, 20 minutes, it will cut to a shot of what is obviously a hand puppet, a Muppet style thing for a couple of lines. It will cut back to a person in a suit. And it's so jarring uh, for me. Yeah, yeah. So they can get the um, the movement of the mouth, for example. Um, yeah, but that's not the only problem. The only, let me just list some of the problems with this film. It is... N- the character of How the Duck is nothing like the character in the comic books by Marvel. Um, the, Tell me more uh, about that, Jay, because I don't know the comic version. Well, I don't know huge amounts about, uh, about it, but I, I know that it is a comic book by Marvel, and I know that the How the Duck character in the comic books is a witty, sarcastic, uh, funny, com- comedic uh, character. And he is absolutely not in this film this film is so unfunny it's 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 about as funny as watching like a a a a balloon uh magician at a children's party you know it's that sort of level of humor it's just yeah they're quite obsessed with trying to do duck puns and not bothering so at one point he says i know quack foo now that's not really a pun on kung fu is it so no it's rubbish. Yeah. Um, what? Yeah. What, what? When he's in his duck world, there was a poster of Raiders of the Lost Ark, but obviously but it was called Breeders of the Lost Ark. What does that mean, Gary? I know. That's I thought the, it's like you're aiming for a pun, but you don't know what one is, so you just write another word that's a little bit like Raiders. Yeah. So the, the, apparently, George Lucas, our, our our best buddy, George Lucas, yes, yes, was a big fan, fan of the show. Hi, George. How you doing? <laughs> Christian more intense. No, that was that was kind of the frog. Um, <laughs> he was a big fan of the comic book, so he knows exactly what the character of How the Duck would be: fast, zippy, sarcastic, um, kind of a bit dark, uh, but um, surreal. And he he wanted to do it right after American Graffiti in the, in the mid seventies. I can't imagine that ever have happened, but. He hired a few of his buddies from Lucasfilm to write the script and direct it. And in that process, they all agreed 
yeah, what we're going to do is we're going to change the character of Howard the Duck. Um, right. That's a good idea. Not. Um, we're going to change. Uh, we're going to change the setting. We're going to change the vibe. Uh, but that would have been fine if they had decided to make children's film. But this film's got tits in it. This film's got duck tits in it. This film's got condoms in it. This film has got lascivious proto-bestiality in it. <laughs> I, yeah, no um, let's in. settle on that subject for a second. Who is this film aimed at in terms of audience? Because it reads like a family, silly, fun film. But you do have these weird, sleazy overtones. Yeah, but they're not clever. They're just like, they're shoehorned in. Um yeah, this film, its tone is all over the place. It's And then it cuts to slapstick humour, like you're watching Benny Hill or something. Uh, that I, yeah, I'm and the baddie of... at the end is actually quite terrifying, isn't it? When he's, <laughs> it um, is. And actually um, wouldn't look out of place in some scenes from The Thing. He uses this giant tongue thing, which I won't even go into. You know, the puppet master was Phil Tippett, who is, of yeah, course... Yeah, yeah. All yes. over the Star Wars franchise, particularly the Rancor and Jabba the Hutt. Yeah, it's, it's no surprise that some of it looks a good and some of it doesn't, though. Yeah. Some of it looks a bit like uh, Ghostbusters as well. Some of the effects, some of the sort of lightning. Yes. The glowing and the lightning, yes. Yes. And in fact, when I was watching it, I was thinking, oh, do you know what they needed to have done? They needed to have made this like it was a Ghostbusters film with that sort of humour, that sort of um, Bill Murray style characterization for Howard the Duck. Um, yeah, that deadpan sort of yes. humour. I mean, obviously Ghostbusters on the fringes of it is a children's film, but actually it's, it's written by grown men. And it stars grown men from the Saturday Night Live gang. And it, the, in the core of it, it's it's kind of a bit more adult, I would say. Howard Duck is all over the place. But also Ghostbusters doesn't have people being pushed into, like, baths of mud. It doesn't have, like, flying around on um, one of those micro-light aeroplanes and crashing into things. Like, it's stupid. Um, yeah, yeah. This is the stuff that feels very sort of family fun oriented. Very strange. Uh, and I believe some of those scenes caused it to be cut over here in the UK for cinema release. Really? <laughs> should have, they should have cut a hell of a lot more out of it. Um, <laughs> I've written a few things down here, Gary. Uh, I've got 13 minutes shit song. Uh, I've got 33 minutes shit song. I've got uh, 41 minutes 25 shit music. Um, the music in this film is both great and absolutely terrible. That's what, speaking. What's, what's great about it? Well, did you notice, Gary, who did the score? I didn't notice, no. 
John Barry. Of course. <laughs> he's not? cropped up a couple of times on this show. He has. He's got some dark uh, things in his closet as well, hasn't he? I didn't realise. So what you've got, take the take the, the, the music of James Bond and, and the creator of Star Wars and put it together and <laughs> you end up with this trash. Um, so the the score is is not bad. There's some nice bits in it. It's I think he's going a bit on autopilot, John Barry. But the the mu- the songs are by uh, Thomas Dolby, who nobody remembers. For about three minutes in the early '80s, he had a couple of hit songs, and he wrote the songs in this. And oh my god, they are terrible. They are so '80s and. Nah. Are you talking about the songs that are performed by the band in the show? Some of those as well, yes. Um, but also there's some, you know, like a, a montage style song. Some score, where, yeah. Where the lyrics are, two lovers, uh, who, two people who need each other but don't know yet. You know, they're explaining the storyline and the lyrics. Oh, I hate it. Um, I hate musicals. Um, and then the, the final song, Howard the Duck, which is God awful, is written by Thomas Dolby and George Clinton from Parliament <laughs> Funkadelic. I'm just, I don't know. How does this happen, Gary? George Lucas, John Barry, George Clinton from Parliament Funkadelic. These are absolute legends in their field. How does it happen? Where they come together and they create a disgusting smear on, on their CVs, like how the duck. I don't understand. Yeah, it, it's an odd one. I think I don't think it's a million miles away from being a proper cult classic. I mean, it is a sort of cult classic, but an actual good one. You know, I think it's not far away. But I think if they'd have settled on the tone before they started, it would have made a huge difference. Um, I have to yeah, say, there's some. There's some decent acting going on. Um, yes. Tim Robbins in, a, in an early role is quite amusing if, you know, over the top, but that's kind of what is expected of his job. It's amazing. Man's oldest fantasy. Across a sea of stars. Look up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's a What's his name? Jeffrey Jones? Jeffrey Jones. I mean, obviously, they said about him the better, but he's doing exactly what Jeffrey Jones does in most films, which is plays a slimy no-gooder. Yeah. Um, I didn't realise that the, the female lead, what's her name? Lee something? Leah Thompson. Yeah, I mean, she looks and sounds so 80s. In fact, the whole, the whole film is so 80s, it hurts. Everyone looks yeah. like a complete... Well, uh, 80s nightmare, but I didn't realise she's the mum in Back to she's, the Future. Yeah, she's famously Marty's mum, Lorraine, uh, in the Back to the Future trilogy. And, she's great. Uh, she's really good. She's completely honest and earnest. Like, she's totally going for it. Whereas in um, this? Oh, yeah, oh I, I was actually thinking she was, a, she was going for it in this, actually. I thought she was the best thing in it. <laughs> I obviously didn't agree with you, Gary. Well, in comparison to Back to Future, um, there, there yeah. is no comparison. I thought, like, but the problem... We're with all this released film... within a year of each other and all would have known about each other's production because, you know, Spielberg would have been over both of these. 
because yeah. Back to the Future was um, executive produced by Steven Spielberg and, of course, Lucas and Spielberg, best buddies. So there's no reason Spielberg wouldn't have been hopping between both sets. <laughs> it was looking at uh, it was looking at Howard the Duck and thinking <laughs> it's looking real good, George. It's looking real good. And he was thinking, I dodged a bullet here. <laughs> George is going to fob this one off on me. Um, Did you know, however, that were it not for this film, we wouldn't have had Pixar. What? So, so without this film, you wouldn't get Toy Story. You know, you wouldn't get a bug's life. You wouldn't get up. You wouldn't get Wally and all the others. So this cost I uh, apparently thirty-seven million dollars to make. God knows where they spent that. Um, <laughs> hairspray, I think. Yeah, loads of hairspray. And but this this was hoping that this film would um, earn back what Lucas had just spent building Skywalker Ranch, which was about sixty million. Wow. So he was making this to re to repay back that building project and it didn't happen. <laughs> so one of his investor mates, some guy by the name of Steve Jobs, says, Well look, I tell you what I'll do. I'll buy the CGI division you've just set up of Lucasfilm and you know, I'll buy that off you for above market price. So he essentially gives Lucas a load of money, takes off that CG team, and eventually that becomes Pixum. Wow. I never knew that. So it's worth having Howard the Duck so you can have Buzz Lightyear. Yeah, it basically gets a get-out-of-jail card with that, I'm afraid, uh, because the film is quite boring, but the fact that it helped create Pixar, that's, that's not bad. That's not bad. See one thing I was thinking watching it, and it's actually from a film um, that I think is either that year or the next year, and you probably would have seen it at the cinema, Jay, is the Masters of the Universe film. Oh, I love Masters of the Universe. I know you do. Um, I love it. Isn't the plot the same? <laughs> do you know what? Is she in? Is is Lee? Is she in this as well? No, she, no, that was no, no. Oh, that's Courtney um, Cox, isn't it? They're yes. all the same. That that sort of mid eighties look. They all look the same. Um, yeah, yeah. It, do you know what Master of the Universe has? It has the same sort of feel as Howard the Duck. Everything's a bit um, slapdash. Uh, everything's a bit low budget. Everyone's dialogue is a bit naff. That sort of mid eighties. Everyone looks terrible sort of feel um yeah and i suppose how the duck is sent to earth for some reason and then he-man is sent to earth for some reason the reason is because it's cheaper to film on earth that's, that's the reason <laughs> elaborate sets and we don't need to uh, explain we could we have a built-in explaining mechanism but I, I but i would say that Masters of the Universe has a reason to look a bit cheap in the 80s because it's made by Canon Films. How <laughs> Duck is made by George Lucas and Industrial Light and Magic. There is no... You practically need. have infinite cash following Return of the Jedi. Yeah. So there's no excuse. It's a, it's a well-known Marvel property as well. So, I mean, it's not like... Well, I think you're stretching. I don't think it was super well-known back well, then. Uh, well... Um, interestingly, 
How the Duck, I think, has had little cameos in some of the Marvel Cinematic Universe stuff. I have heard that, yes. I believe he's in the Guardians of the Galaxies film, Guardians of the Galaxy films. So we may get a remake reboot at some point. So do you know who is trying really hard to bring it back and has put their name down as director? Oh, is this going to be awful, Gary? Mm, Leah Thompson. She's such a fan of her performance and her time making it that she wants to bring it back. Really? Mm-hmm. I wouldn't bother, love. <laughs> Howard the Duck. Um, you know, that's a real cult favorite. And, um, you know, going back to love scenes, it's a little awkward because I have a love scene with a duck. Hmm. Which is upsetting because both my children have never actually seen the whole movie. They just turn it off. Well, I was going to ask you if you'd recommend Howard the Duck, but I think that sums it up, Jay. Oh, God, no. I don't think I would recommend Howard the Duck. It's like it's got all the ingredients for a cult film. It looks crazy. It's got George Lucas, Industrial Light and Magic. It's sci-fi. It's wacky. But it's just it's just boring. It's not enough Yeah, you're to bang it. on. It's, uh, it's got no substance. And it, ha- it has got all the components. I think it's just nearly there, but not quite. It's got the music, the songs are crap. <laughs> it's got terrible music. <laughs> I think you mentioned that one, so I think you're saying it's double crap. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, we didn't like how the duck he should get back <laughs> into his egg and <laughs> get lost, go back to his planet. Well, that's what we thought of Howard the Duck. What did you think? Did you agree? Um, come find us on Twitter at We Watch Bad Films or Instagram at We Watch Bad Films. Equally, if you're enjoying this and want to send us some money to continue doing Amazon rentals and find out more, catch us at ko-fi.com slash pod. That's all from me. See you later, Jay. Bye-bye. Goodbye, everyone. I love trees. They're my family. I... Ellie, you ate my burger.